I still remember when I met my wife, Megan. See who got the better of the deal of this. Uh... <laughs> and I remember we met in uh, a membership class for our church that we were at at the time. And we, we had a discussion, and, and I remember we started dating. And I clearly remember when we were dating, we began uh, officially dating on, uh, it was actually Valentine's Day 15 years ago. And I remember when we first started dating, I wanted to spend every waking moment with her. When I wasn't with her, I was thinking about her. I was thinking, uh, wanting to be with her. I remember when I had to go back in the summer to go back to Sarnian. I was working on a pipeline to, to make some money so we could save up for our wedding and type of things. And I remember every day getting home and calling her and being on the phone until too late. And, and just always wanted to spend each breath with her. Because I was in love with her and I was really excited. I remember being a newlywed with her. I remember being in Kitchener and spending the nights watching like horrible TV shows we didn't even really like together just so we could be in each other's presence. And I remember talking with some older couples and they started speaking with us and they said, you know, do you guys have a, a date night? And I was like, date night? What? Every night's a date night. <laughs> yeah, I was a bit young. Um, and, and, and they were saying, no, you listen, I know it seems, it's really easy right now, but when you start going through this after a little while, you're going to want to make sure you have some time where you regularly schedule time together. And so we did. We started a date night, and it was our Friday nights, and it was lovely. We'd go out, watch a movie, go have some dinner, and we, and we were doing it faithfully all the time, going out. And then we had kids, and it kind of got a little bit more difficult. And our schedules and our work started coming. And, and so date nights became a lot more difficult. Not only a bit more difficult, they became much more expensive. Because you had the meals, the dinner, and you had the babysitting. And so eventually, date nights every week weren't really able to happen. And, and at the same time, we would try to spend some time together. And we realized after a while, like, we got to make sure we at least have the Friday nights at home date nights. And what's interesting to me is now... Uh, I find myself sometimes rather watching The Crown with her than watching the game by myself, which is a miracle, I think, of some sort. <laughs> but why am I talking about this? It's because of the idea of a relationship, it takes time to build into one another. You can even think about your relationships. It doesn't just have to be romantic relationships. It can be relationships with friends. I'm sure a lot of us have friendships that kind of go way back and, and yes, when we get together for the first time after a while, we, we click and it's, everything's uh, wonderful because we know each other so well. But there's still that sense in which we don't know where each other's at right now. We might not know where each other's headspace is at right now because we haven't spent much time together. Time is the essence of keeping relationships close and keeping you connected to one another. And when I think about that, I start looking back at my, my own relationship with God. And I think about when I first decided to follow God with all of my heart. I remember being on fire. So much passion. We would go out every night of the week. We'd have prayer meetings. We'd meet with other people, many of them who've become pastors. We'd meet together. We'd pray together. We started uh, small groups together. It was this wonderful time of just joy and energy and excitement. And I was thinking, this is amazing. My relationship with God is so vibrant and I went to Bible college. I remember first years of Bible college, getting together with people and praying and praying for a uh, persecuted church and, and you had scripture around you all the time and it was exciting. I don't know. Somewhere, somehow, things started to cool down a bit. 
Maybe it was because at Bible college, I kind of relied upon the scriptures coming to me in my classes, and I didn't really have uh, that connection. But at some point, it started to cool down a bit. I spent less time in prayer, less time in the scriptures, more time out doing other things. And then my, my heart started to cool, and, and, and it opened up some cracks for some temptations to creep in. It wasn't obvious, or it wasn't immediate, but it was subtle and deadly. The less time I was with God, the, the less close I felt with him, and it was easier to fall to the wayside. And after too much time, probably, it became obvious to me, and I realized, oh, I need to make sure I have dedicated, prioritized time with God on my life to keep this relationship together. Because I've learned that the time that I spend with God is, is time that helps transform me. Because you can think about this with relationships. With friendships, with romantic relationships, it starts to break down if we don't keep the time together. And so I've learned that I need time alone with God. I need, I need to make space for God in my life. I think I feel a lot like Daniel must have had felt back in Babylon once the Persian Empire took over. I'd like to take us to Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, two with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself amongst the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him above the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for a charge against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and they said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, the governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issued a decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had did before. And these men went as a group and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And so they went to the king. And they spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, 
the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. This is the story of Daniel, a man of God. And the only way that he could be put aside in the leadership was to somehow find out a way to get to him through Yahweh. Notice the thing that his political rivals attack him on. They attack his prayer life. They know that for Daniel, it is necessary to pray. He can't live without it. You know, I was thinking about Daniel, he, and he's, he's a smart guy. I thought, you know, he could have been a pragmatist. He could have thought of a, a solution to this. You know what? I know how to get out of this and not be idolatrous. I'll just not pray for 30 days. And then I won't commit adultery because I won't be praying to Darius, but I won't be breaking the law. I won't get myself in any trouble. And yet, for some reason, this is impossible for Daniel. The idea of not praying for the 30 days is not something he would even entertain. And the reason is he needs God. He needs to be in relationship with God. He needs that time for his own life in order to continue. Asking him not to pray at all over the next three days was like asking him not to eat. Well, it was worse. Now, the law of Moses did tell him he's supposed to worship God on the Sabbath, so he had this sense in which he knew he was supposed to worship God. But it wasn't just that. It wasn't enough. He might have been able to compromise. Maybe Daniel could have thought of another way. You know what I'm going to do? Cut it down. I'm used to praying three times a day. There's no law in the scripture I have to pay the three times a day. So what I'll do is I'll just pray silently to myself on my bed at night, and no one will know the wiser. And even that wasn't acceptable to Daniel. He needed to continue this routine that he had of three times a day connecting to his God. Facing Jerusalem on his knees, I find it very interesting that for Daniel, he has a predictability of prayer. It has become part of who he is. He made his time such a regular thing in his life that his enemies knew where they could find him and when they could find him. He found it necessary to have the time with God. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are thinking, Hey, I wish I, yeah, like that sounds awesome. Three times a day. I wish I could do that. I wish I had the time in my schedule. Like I, I'm too busy. Like, let's, be, let's face it. Thousands of years ago, they didn't have the same kind of hectic lifestyles that I have. The schedules are here and going to work and every moment is counted for. I like to think that to myself. Then I start thinking about it and I realize how arrogant am I? If anyone had an excuse for busyness, it would have been Daniel. I don't know about you. I'm not running a whole country. You know, on top of people with busy schedules, you look at like the president and the prime ministers and the, the ministers, of, right? That, I don't know about you. 
When I look at the life of Daniel, he was a busy person. He was a mover and a shaker. He was not just one of the top 120 powerful figures in the capital. He's one of the top three. Not only that, rumor has it, he's number one. He was a mover and a shaker. Talk about busy. He was extremely busy. I dare say more busy than you and I each day. But he looked at things in a different way. He realized that he was too busy not to pray. You might recognize that. That was the title of a book by Bill Hybels. I recommend you take a look at it, actually. It's a great book. Too Busy Not to Pray. It actually comes from a turn of phrase by Martin Luther, the great reformer. Martin Luther was famous for this line when he was looking at a schedule and he said, I have so much to do today that I'm going to have to spend three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. See how he thinks about prayer? Prayer isn't like this extra thing he has to add on that kind of drains his time. And prayer is his power source. Prayer is the place from which he operates so that he has the energy to go about his busy schedule of his day. He can't get it done if he doesn't pray. Too busy not to pray. The truth is that Daniel understood who he was dealing with. He was dealing with the king of the universe. And his relationship with him empowers him to be able to accomplish that for which he was made and the duties he was given. Prayer is never a waste of time. It's never a secondary kind of side thing for him. He couldn't let go of it. Daniel teaches us that we spend time praying regularly, then we are prepared for what comes. He was prepared for the difficulty that was going to come before him because he had already soaked and saturated his life in this connection to God. So when the calamity hit, he was already prepared in who he was. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel. He shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The sad traps had set a trap. But God shut the lion's yaps. Think about this culture even. Kind of the mad, torturous way in which they're going to punish a guy for not praying to their king. It wasn't just like, oh, you're executed. It's like, we're going to throw you in a hole with a bunch of non-fed carnivore, giant cats. And see how you fare. Survive? Good job. It's like ancient reality TV or something, right? So they, what are they setting up for this guy? The faithful perseverance of Daniel in prayer prepared him for the lion's lair. He was ready for it. It was the difference maker for him. And so I want to Compel you. Find quiet time. Find time to make space for God. 
And this isn't just a matter of being a good Christian. This is a matter of life or death spiritually. I look back to my opening illustration and I start thinking about my relationships and um, how many relationships die because of lack of time spent together. I'm not saying every relationship dies for that, but I've seen so many marriages fall apart because they no longer had a habit of the heart. We just grew apart. And I think, like, did you grow apart or did you stop coming together? It's a difficult thing. How many people's faith comes to an end because they just no longer felt God's presence? And I think to myself, when I think of my own life and I realize, like, when I didn't feel God's presence, the way I started to maintain God's presence was coming to him, knowing he was there anyways, and allowing him again to make a way in my life, not by going, I don't feel him, so I'll just slowly drift away. This Christmas, I started feeling, just recently, with Megan and I, just, we're not getting as many date nights in as we used to. There's times when I went out, and I started realizing I needed to kind of pick back my game up. And, you know, the, the money required and the time, I realized, like, I'm not going to be able to get it going out every week. But I said, I gave her a little card, and it said in it, the next four months, four times, we're going to go off. We're going to do something. We went out and did the movie thing. Now I'm going to go skiing and try to do a couple's massage type thing. And, and just kind of realize, that I'm going to make some time and space to, to make sure that connection's there. And hopefully that, that will help our relationship stay strong and we'll be ready for the next crisis. And it's funny, actually, my next crisis came in between sermons because my wife called me. He's like, did you park the car kind of on the grass? He's like, yeah, we had the party. I want to let people in. Yeah, I'm stuck in the mud. I'm like, luckily, I've prepared our relationship to be able to handle this crisis. <laughs> but I'm realizing I, need, I needed to do something to help, you know, keep things together because she deserves it. Because I, I need it. And our relationship grows because of it. And you know what? We have to schedule it in. It's, it's, and then, yes, it moves because you have it scheduled. like, oh, and then it has to move over here. But it has to be scheduled in. And I, and I realize this, that scheduling sometimes feels like it takes spontaneity out of things, doesn't it? Like, oh, three times a day you're meeting with God. Way to have a relationship with God. It's like robotic, isn't it? And kind of, sometimes we think we kind of glamorize, like, I just want a relationship with God where I'm just like, he, he hits me and I'm like, oh, I'm in a relationship with him, which is beautiful. And it'd be a great thing. But I, I think that the people who have those relationships with God have them because they put that time together. They met with him regularly. They connected with him. Just like a, like a relationship with a marriage, yeah, they, the relationship counselors are saying, a lot of people talk about lacking intimacy in their relationships. It's just like, you know, slowly but surely, just less and less intimate. You don't get that alone time together. Time to be physical together, and what starts to happen is the less time you are together, the more you start feeling apart, and it gets harder and harder for people to, to know how to connect. What's interesting about this is relationship counselors say, you know what you need to do is schedule intimacy time into your schedule, put it on the, on the calendar, which sounds kind of like, whoa, that's really not romantic and kind of weird, but they say, yeah, it kind of feels that way at first, but what, it, what ends up happening is when you have these schedules, because you kind of had these times together, as, as you get intimate, even if it's scheduled, then you wake up your passion a little bit. And then you actually have more spontaneous times, just wanting to get together and be together. This is the same principle it is with God. 
If you want to have that passion back, you want to kind of return to that fire, what we need is a time with God where we're kind of getting used to being connected to him regularly. And then you're just driving on the street and like God hits you, you pull over the side of the street, you can't help but just pray to him because you have that spontaneous relationship with him. But you need to make sure you have it built on the bedrock of the reality of your relationship with him and making sure it's properly put in place. So if we want to keep things spicy with God, you got to keep things regular with God. There's the times when we don't feel too close to God, we don't feel his presence. That's when we most need to make sure we get on our knees to him. It's counterintuitive, but it's real. It's the times when you feel less connected. That's the time when you got to make sure you, you take your relationship seriously. Our relationship with God is too important not to create this time, this space with him. And I would suggest maybe what we need kind of, I, I found this for myself, what, what you might need just to kind of reconnect and kind of get that connection, maybe you need to go on a, on a spiritual retreat. It could be just yourself. You know, I'm going to go off Saturday afternoon and spend three hours with God. Now, I know that can feel difficult. And how do I go about that? What does that look like? But maybe you just need some time to go with God for an extended period of time and be with him and soak with him. Relationships are built on time together our deliberate time together. And it, you know what this means, something I've learned in my relationships? Is that means that you don't spend that entire time talking. Going out to date night, sit down at a table, just pouring out everything about work. Here's all the things that go on at church and the vision. If I did that, my wife just sat there being inundated with information and my facts. How much of that relationship would be growing? It would be very one way, wouldn't it? And yet somehow we think that how we relate to God is just blabbling to him constantly and never listening. That's a hard thing to do because that listening, that silence is difficult, isn't it? Like, what do I do? I'm just thinking. We, call it, we have a word for it, awkward silence. Yet silence before God is a, a symbol and a gesture of understanding that he is a person who loves you, wants to care for you, who has to speak to you, who has a chance to actually pour into your life. And how do you do that? How do you be silent for two hours? Well, some of it might be actually being able just to sit with the scripture, because God speaks through scripture. Take a little chunk and, and pray through it. Maybe, and what often happens is God will kind of raise a couple lines up to you and it'll kind of stick in you. And, he, and you, feel, you realize like that little piece in that scripture kind of fits in that little jigsaw puzzle of your heart and that way, like, boom. Oh, I needed that. And he starts to grow that in you, right? And you start to, as you start to listen, something I've learned, the more I start to listen, listening to other people is a practice thing too, isn't it? It takes practice to be able to actually listen. Instead of formulating my arguments in this conversation, I actually listen to you. Well, listening to God is even more difficult because it's not right in front of you. You actually have to listen to the subtle movements of your heart as he whispers into your heart. It makes things ponder on your heart. You need to hear. Let the Holy Spirit kind of open up your, your heart. And it's a thing that takes practice and time, and we need to schedule this time and get used to making that space for him to whisper and for us to listen. 
Our, our lives are so noisy. If we don't open up time and space for silence, we, don't just, we get so much information. We are an information-soaked culture. You go anywhere, there's music playing in the background. There's messages being sent to you. Wherever you walk, there's signs. How do, how do we pull those all away and kind of enter that kind of decompression chamber of our heart and let God speak? Why do we let God speak? Well, you know what? First of all, the more time we spend in silence, the more we can hear God's voice. We hear him better. We hear him through the scriptures better. We're able to understand his word in the scripture better. We're able to understand, hear his spirit better. It's also a way of expressing worship to God to say, God, like, I love you. I will humble myself and be silent before you. I just say, I have faith in you. I, I don't know what I can do right now. I'm giving you this airtime. Like, seek his salvation. Lord, can you, can you save me from the lions? To be restored, let him pour into you his heart. To gain a perspective. You know what? Sometimes that noise and everything that's going on in your life, you kind of lose perspective, don't you? You kind of lose off kilter and you're kind of, you're not looking at things the way they really are. If, you, if you're silent before me, kind of, it helps reset equilibrium. You're not kind of lo- looking at the world in a tilt anymore. Looking at things as they really are before God. Helps you seek God's will. What do you want with me, Lord? And you know another thing about silence that I think is really important? It teaches us to control our tongue. Shut up and listen. I wonder how many times my wife would want to say that to me. I wonder how many times God wants to say that to me. Now, how do we do this? This is not an easy thing. Like I said, maybe start, make an open period of time. I'm going to have a concentrated period of time and just kind of reset things to meditate on Scripture. Another thing is to, to try to have a daily dose of silence. One of the best ways I can do this is by going on a walk. Something about going on a walk for me opens up my heart and actually lets me to listen. I'm looking around, and I think part of it is when I'm walking, I try to go somewhere where there's trees and things like that, and I, I can't help but look at those trees and realize, like, there's a God that made those things. Like, I didn't make that. And it kind of puts me in a, in a perspective where I can be spoken to. And I, I like to walk. I think I'm, like, walking with the Spirit. Or maybe you have a special, like, secret spiritual place. Notice that Daniel had. He had his little upper room. Do you have a place that becomes an environment for prayer for you? Now, we don't all have that luxury, but if you can find a place and you make that your prayer spot, then your heart and your conscience and everything kind of fills in. I'm, I'm trying to think of some practical ways. Uh, I was talking to some people, and we were talking about ways to, to connect with God, and they said, you know, it sounds kind of weird, and maybe it's cheating, but the way I do it is I always spend my time driving home from work and my commute as my alone time with God. And I was like, that is awesome to be able to open that time up and you know what? Some people even use that as a time to listen to the Word of God. You can put on an MP3 or something in your car and listen. Um, one of my favorites is uh, the booming baritone voice of Johnny Cash, reading the New Testament. It's like, ah, oh, yes, speak. There's all sorts of ways for us to get that alone time and that quietness with God and, and, and build up that relationship. Maybe it's when you wake up. Some people are morning people. I, had, I saw on Facebook someone posted this. It kind of hit me. It was like, do you wake up for your job or do you wake up for God? And I was like, oh, I usually wake up for my job or for my kids, if I'm honest. If I woke up a little bit earlier for God, what would that do for me? Well, that's, 
something I've been convicted about, a big part of my life. But this is not a carte blanche. It's not like you have to do it this way. You have to do it like Daniel three times a day. Right? It's not, it's not, that's not the way relationships work. It's like trying to say, hey, this is how me and my wife do things. You have to do it this way too. Otherwise, your marriage will fail. Or... That's not how things work. It's very personal. Your relationship with God is very personal. How does God relate to you? How do you best relate to God? But be serious about it. Make date nights about it. Schedule it in. Make it part of who you are. And as your relationship with God grows, then you're ready when the crisis hits. You're ready to face it. And so I challenge you today to this week, if you don't already have something in place, just to spend time in prayer with God. Ask him, how is it that I'll make space for you? How do we connect, God? How can I make sure that I'm opening up a place for you to speak to me and for us to connect? And he'll whisper to you. He, he wants nothing more than to spend some time with his children. I was thinking about this with my kids and, and my family. Like, me and Megan have started trying to do, like, date nights with our kids so we get a time alone with one room. So when the teenage years hit, the crisis hits, I already have the relationship, the one-on-one connection, where we have a relationship, and hopefully they'll be able to share with me and I'll be able to listen to them because we've already made a space and a way of connecting. This is how God wants to relate to you. He wants to spend that time with you so as you're maturing as his child, he'll be able to speak into your life, give you advice, but even more than that, give you the power to continue, the energy to live in him, and just this hope in the love of Jesus Christ. Before he's betrayed, our Lord took some time to have some space for God. He went off into the garden. He spent a lot of time. He, he actually cried blood. He also, that same day, crafted for us a way of connecting with him, a way of remembering him, a way of continuing our relationship with him. He took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. As often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you declare the forgiveness of your sins in Jesus Christ. You have a space for God. And so today as we take of communion, I just ask you to to take this opportunity as a moment to create a little space of God. I know we're in in a, a room, but take a moment with God. Allow him to speak to your heart. Allow this to be a moment of prayer and connection. Allow him to speak to you about how it is that he wants to connect with you this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the beauty of relationship. We thank you that you made us creatures who need to relate. We thank you that you made us, most of all, creatures who need you. That you didn't create this need and then not provide a way, Lord God, that you provide a way that you love to spend time with us. And that through Jesus, Lord, that our sins are washed away and we are able to approach you in all confidence that you love us and care for us that you want to spend time with us, that when we spend time with you, you will not be spending time condemning us, but you will be building us up, Lord God. And so we ask, Lord, that as a church, you would transform us, that you would reawaken that energy. Would we remember our first love? Would you give us the passion, Lord God, that we had when we first came to know you? Would you do that, Lord, by opening our hearts to open up space for you? so that we would allow you into our lives and that relationship to blossom and mature and that we would be like 
a, a relationship that would be not just the, the first fires and flames of a beginning, but this wizened, fruitful, deep relationship of a child who's been able to relate to their father for years upon years and trust, Lord God. We pray that this would be transforming for us and for us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.